the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. We're not going to try to figure out who the Antichrist is or what his hometown is. or We're not going to read current day events. And I had people telling me that we were already in the tribulation period. And I was like, you know what? If you're in the tribulation period right now, you'd know it. We're going to look at the Bible here. And we're going to get into the text and we're going to work our way through the text and understand and enjoy and apply the book of Revelation. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith begins a brand new teaching series from the book of Revelation, a series that Pastor Keith has entitled Future Grace a study of the Apocalypse of John. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Now here's Pastor Keith to begin our new study. Father, as we prepare to look into the Apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ given to the Apostle John, Lord, and we, we do so with joy, Lord, we do so with fear and trembling, with uh, uh, excitement. Help us, Lord, to pick up and read and to study your word and to be changed by it, edified through it, and empowered by your spirit to excel still more as a church, Father, as a people. Father, grant me clarity, Lord. Grant the people Patience, Lord, uh, open minds, open hearts, Lord. Uh, Help us to lay aside our preconceived ideas and to look into the book that you have given us, the Bible, and into this epistle that is Revelation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we begin a study of the book of Revelation. And Revelation, to me, is one of the three happiest books in the Bible. And I hope they would be for you. 
They are, just for for those of you who are curious, Philippians, that's a happy-go-lucky book. Paul is just thrilled. The second one to that is the Philippians of the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. And the third one is the closing chapter of the Bible, you might say, Revelation. Our series is entitled Future Grace, which gives a hint of why we should be happy, why we should be thrilled, why we, we should have heart peace, Future Grace, a study of the apocalypse of John. Today's message is entitled, Why Study the Book of Revelation? And today's passage is Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. And as we begin this study, you have to ask and answer in your own heart. And I want you to do that now and in your own head. What does the book of Revelation mean to you? What, what, what thoughts does it conjure up in your mind? People have all kinds of thoughts and impressions about the book of Revelation. Some of the thoughts are scary thoughts. And you can see that in our first slide. And that is the monster and the beast and all these things and people are terrified by it. I remember as a young man uh, hearing about it as a child in a Christian school and hearing uh, airliners fly overhead and thinking it was the second coming and being terrified. Then there's the uh, speculative thoughts. Who is the Antichrist? And I've I've enjoyed the theories over the years. One is that the Antichrist, that's the one today, is Donald Trump. I remember when it was Barack Obama. Then the Nazi, as as people called him, George Bush, who was anything but. And what you see is endless myths and speculations and that's what Paul warns us about in First and Second Timothy, right? To avoid those kind of things. Then came the novels. You know, we've seen all these novels come out. And they are novels. If you, you could call them historical fiction, I suppose, but that might be stretching the genre a little too much. Some were less harmful, like Left Behind. Some are more harmful, like The Harbinger. New secrets, new interpretive techniques revealing new truths about America from the book of the Bible using fictionalized Hebrew and rabbinical interpretive techniques that never really existed. And people snatch this stuff up like it's true. Then there is what I call speculative thoughts, the meaning of 666, and books unveiling all kinds of heretofore unknown mysteries. And I thought that was what the book of Revelation was for. I mean, do you really think these people have discovered anything new? Is there anything new under the sun? Isn't the book of Revelation about the uncovering, the unveiling? That's what the title means. Apocalypsis is the Greek word for revelation or unveiling or uncovering. And I would imagine that God is a capable enough communicator to indicate to us what we should know. I can't imagine that he needs a lot of help from a lot of different people. I mean, isn't God capable of, isn't he a clarifying communicator? Weren't his apostles, wasn't Jesus? And the the trouble is, I think today, not to sound harsh or overly critical, is that people fail to pick up and read. You know, that's what Augustine did. That's what led him to Christ. He heard somebody say, pick up and read. And so what we do is we speculate and we, uh, we read books about the Bible. 
We watch YouTube videos endlessly. We latch on to every speculation and conspiracy theory imaginable that even when they strain credulity and we overlook the future grace that has been so carefully and thoughtfully and thoroughly revealed to us in the book of Revelation. And often we fall prey to false teachers. And I'm talking about good people falling prey to false teachers. I was reading an article this week about the seven types of false teachers that are described variously in the Bible, but and they just summarized in this article. There's the heretic who overtly teach, teaches things that are contradictory to Scripture. There's the charlatan who's in it for the money. He's a lover of, you know, of lucre, as they say. There's the false prophet who's gifted to speak new revelation, revelation just for you that isn't really found in the Bible. Then there's the abuser, the manipulator who preys on the sheep financially or sexually. The divider who creates division between friends, talks about that in Proverbs a little bit, also who divides churches. They went out from us because they were not of us. And finally, one we'll talk about today, and one that this book, one that Revelation specifically warns about, is the speculator. The speculator. The one obsessed with novelty. Weary of old truths. And often in our era, these folks are obsessed with the end times and they look at Revelation and they try to, oh, you know, those grasshoppers, they should be Huey helicopters or Apache or Cobras or, you know, and they start looking at stuff and they start talking about it and they say, you know what they do? They get so wound up in those little artifacts and those little shiny objects that distract that they miss and fail to teach and to understand the book of Revelation. They play endless games of what ifs or maybe this meant this or maybe this meant that. The book of Revelation is not rocket science. It's a very plain spoken book. And one of the things that's always difficult about these kinds of speculations is they distract, like shiny objects, people away from spiritual growth, personal holiness, and examining their heart in light of the scriptures as they fantasize and theorize about things that aren't in the text, things they have no idea about, and they end up, inadvertently, good people leading people astray, leading themselves astray, and failing to live the holy life that God has called them to live. And one of the scary things about this is it, happen, it can happen to anybody. Good people do this. And one of the scary things about teaching the book of Revelation, as happy as a book as it is, as joyful as an occasion as it should be, is Revelation is the only book in the Bible that comes with a warning that some people say is implicit, but I believe is explicit, that warns of the curses, of, of a curse that will be applied to the person who adds to the book or takes away from the book because they're either careless or foolish. I look at Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of, book, of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So what we're going to do in this study is pick up and read. We're not going to speculate. We're not going to fantasize. We're not going to try to figure out who the Antichrist is or what his hometown is. Or We're not going to read current day events. And I had people telling me that we were already in the tribulation period. And I was like, you know what? If you're in the tribulation period right now, you'd know it. We're going to look at the Bible here. And we're going to get into the text and we're going to work our way through the text and understand and enjoy and apply the book of Revelation. So let's get started. Let me give you a little background. You're going to have to stay with me. I'm going to feed you background throughout the series. In Revelation, the Apostle John presents prophetic visions that were given to him to see and to hear and to report, and he received these on a Sunday around 95 or 96 AD during his exile on the Isle of Patmos, which was a penal colony where he was sent by order of the Emperor Domitian, one of the greatest persecutors of the Christian church. John writes by command of Christ. He was to share all that he saw, all that he heard with other Christians. Now, John had lived and labored in and around Ephesus since the days of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. And he had taught at Ephesus and he had visited churches in Asia. And he was arrested not because Domitian said, there's John, go get him. But Domitian uh, ordered a decree to persecute to restrict, to impede the growth of this troublesome religious sect, which we now call Christianity. And more than likely, the proconsul of Asia had John arrested and banished. Now, the dating of this is a big deal because there are those who need John to have written around prior to or just after 70 A.D., And the problem with this is, is that the testimony of the early church fathers, the early church leaders, indicates that John wrote at the end of his life, when he was close to 100 years old. And the historical record that supports this is important because it helps us to understand the book of Revelation more fully. Arrhenius, writing around 170 AD, insisted that Revelation had been written toward the end of Domitian's reign. This assertion was supported by others like Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Victoronius, and Victoronius wrote the first commentary, they believe, or among the first commentaries on Revelation. Asubius, who wrote church history, and much later, Jerome. And people today try to look back and say, well, those guys were wrong. Well, those guys lived closer to the time that this book was written. So who's going to know more about that? You and me? Here and now are those men then and there. Now the big deal with the dating really comes to the, ties into the destruction of the temple. Why is that a big deal? Because there is a thought process within within the Christian church today that Revelation is written about the destruction of the temple. And at the destruction of the temple, there was a spiritual return of Christ. And that 
This book is as much a book about what's already happened as of what's about to happen. And this thought process suggests that we are now, therefore, living in the millennium. That the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, is not a literal thousand years. It's an allegorical or a spiritual or a symbolic thousand years. And so they need to date Revelation to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., the problem is Arrhenius, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Victronius, Eusebius, and Jerome and others. Their testimony, their witness weakens that case. Now this dating of Revelation has created no small intramural debate within the church family, the Christian church. And we just need to be aware of that. There are different approaches. There's premillennialism, there's amillennialism, there's postmillennialism. And then there are movements within each of those movements. Premillennialism uh, uses a more literal approach, takes a, a natural common sense reading of the text and takes it literally. And so when it says this is about things that's going to happen, it goes there. Amillennialism and postmillennialism take a more of, a, of an allegorical approach, a spiritual approach, a symbolic approach. All of these folks are Christians, okay? And so as we talk about this, one of the things we have to realize is this is an intramural debate, a debate within the family. And we want to treat each other and these views, whether we agree with them or not, with respect. These folks aren't the enemy. No matter what camp you fall into, obviously our church is premillennial. That's the way it is. But, and we'll talk about these systems in the coming weeks and months ahead but in the meantime, let's talk about our interpretive process for understanding and applying what we find in Revelation. Basically, we ask and answer three questions in anything that we do here with the Bible. What does the text say? What do the sentences say? You have words, they make up sentences, sentences make up paragraphs, paragraphs make up discourses, and they teach us things. So what do the words say? What does the text say? Secondly, what does it mean? Words, sentences, paragraphs, ideas. Flows of thought. How do the words connect to each other and give meaning? What is the passage? What thought does the passage convey? What does the flow of discourse tell us? And then the third question is, what do we do? How then shall we think and live in light of this passage? Now, we'll be in good company doing that, interpretively speaking, because this was the same interpretive technique that Jesus uses in the Gospels. If you look in your Bibles at Matthew twenty-two forty-one to 46, you'll see an example of this. And as you move through the Bible and you read the teachings of Jesus, he always asks about the meaning of the text. Let me just read this for you. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them the question, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, these are the Jewish leaders, the son of David. He said to them, how then, he's referring to the text and to the inspiration of scripture, how then is it that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, he's quoting the text, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? 
And no one was able to answer him a word, nor that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. The rabbis often, particularly the Sadducees, were the worst allegorizers. Every word had five meaning and every text could mean eight different things. And Jesus is confronting them because Jesus never allegorized the text. He took a clear, common sense reading of the text and then he explained it to people. And while rabbis often did that, Jesus didn't. Where did allegorization come from in Christianity? It came from the uh, Antiochian school of interpretation. Origen, a guy named Origen, was the chief proponent of that. How did he come up with spiritualizing the text or allegorizing the text? Why did he do that? It's easy. He was embarrassed about the Canaanite genocide. People confronted him, as people confront us today about different things like homosexuality or what have you, and they say, well, how can you believe something that terrible? So you know what he did? He said, well, it wasn't really literal, it was spiritual. That's not what we do with the text of Scripture. We have to take a more serious approach to that. So we want to read the text as the recipients read the text, as the people who received this epistle, this revelation. Now, there is symbol, symbolism in Revelation, but you have to remember, you still take it literally. And let me explain to you what I mean. When Jesus says, I am the door, we take that literally. He is the way into heaven. He is the, the door into the sheepfold. We don't mean that he has a, a knob and hinges and locks and keys. Okay, but we do take it literally. We recognize a figure of speech. When he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, how long I've wanted to gather you under my wings. We understand that he meant what he said. We understand that he's using poetic language, but we take it literally. And that's the way we read Revelation. So let's not make it more mysterious than it really is. You know, the other thing I like about the book of Revelation, if you've read it, is all those difficult to understand symbols that you see there, many of them are explained within the near context. It'll make a statement, it'll give you a symbol, and then it will define it. Give you, here's some quick examples. Revelation 1, 19 and 20. Write therefore the things you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Not that those that took place in the past. Those that are and those that are to take place after that. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, what are those? The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Mystery explained. So, Revelation was written to be understood. God wrote to communicate the things which must soon take place. And it was written to be understood by slaves and aristocrats alike, by Jews and Gentiles alike. All you have to do when you read the book of Revelation is follow the discourse. Follow the flow of thought. You see, we like shiny objects. We see something shiny over there and we just wander off the path. You can't do that in Revelation. Just read the paragraph. What is the paragraph about? What is the sentence about? But the white stone, what's the white stone? Who cares? 
What is he talking about in the passage? Beware the shiny object. And so let the text speak for itself. Don't read into the text what you wish it said, what you need it to say. Don't you inform the text. Let the text inform you as you read from the text. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.